rage yeah. is love i feel like mm. i feel like things that enrage me is because at the core i love this thing so much and it's mm. being disrespected it's like who's the fiercest creature sometimes with these very maternal or paternal animals that you see you're gonna play with their baby they're about to tear you up it's rage and it's love and it's sharp and i love it and that's the type of mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. that i carry with me you know fierce mm-hmm. love Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our podcast, we expand the types of intimate conversations we've been having in our video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we bring you interviews with diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. If you fall in love with our guests as much as we do, you can see them in their full self-expression on our YouTube channel and Instagram using the handle at style like you. And if our stories open your eyes or are transformative on your own journey towards acceptance, please consider becoming a member of Style Like You on Patreon so that we can continue creating a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their skin. To support our work, head over to patreon.com slash style like you. Thank you to Fat in the Moon for supporting this episode of What's Underneath. Fat in the Moon makes handcrafted herbal body care for radical beings of all body types, backgrounds, races, and genders. With products ranging from deodorant to makeup to herbal remedies for the most intimate of issues, Fat in the Moon promotes self-care and self-love. If you want to try Fat in the Moon's plant potions of self-care, they are offering What's Underneath listeners 20% off their products by heading over to fatinthemoon.com and entering the coupon code STYLE. That's fatinthemoon.com with the coupon code STYLE for 20% off your order. So, Mom, ready? Yes, Lils. Um, okay. Who are we here with today? So we're here in L.A. with Camille Oshandara, who's uh, a spoken word poet and the cultural executive of Monkey Paw Productions. But I can't not mention uh, sort of the melting that happens when you're in her presence immediately, especially mm-hmm. uh, with her amazing energy and her beautiful tattoos, but her above and beyond all of it the green emerald green (laughs) head of hair is just i'm sitting here thinking what could i do that could even begin to look like that and of course not much unfortunately um so hi hi thank you how are you feeling i feel good feel very very sunny very sunny this morning yeah well i just noticed that your earrings are like oh yeah are they they're gauged, oh, yeah. They're wow. ga- they're about they're about an inch and a half. What is it doing exactly? It's stretching at your ear. Oh yeah, I can show you. Hold on, let me see. <laughs> Sorry, it's skin. If you are squeamish, but it's healed. No. So so yeah, it's just like this is the earlobe, and then it just looks like this. One side is bigger, one side is smaller. Beautiful. I, just, I love that, and it just protects it. It just covers it up like so a little guard, little ear guard. It is a saddle. That though, makes so. me feel better because mine, because at a certain age when you've had pierced ears for a long time. You, they start to like your ears start to like hang mm-hmm. and like my the holes have gotten a lot bigger yeah. and like almost they're almost like maybe not even going to be there anymore because mm-hmm. they're so long yeah and i'm like oh like what could i do mm-hmm. so, and when i see long ears i think about ancestors i think about wisdom so i love things that hang like this it's supposed to hang i know right Let those ears can you hang. say more about that why, yes. why is it wisdom intuitively all the images i've seen of elders you know that's what they look like it feels like they're very comfortable in their, their skin and their age and 
and and their mm-hmm. time on this planet and i just that's why I, that's what i think about when i see in my head but mm-hmm. i just think about all the like indigenous folks that just pop into mm-hmm. my head you think about when you say ears i just see them all droop down so that's why it just feels mm-hmm. like wisdom to me you know for me mm-hmm. that's the ultimate style yeah yeah oh me too wisdom is style mm-hmm. i um, agree and and not let alone like comfort in your skin on that level where mm-hmm. you're, you're not self-conscious about yes how, whatever age or time has done to mm-hmm. your body it's like it's it's so contradictory to the culture mm-hmm. that we're in here especially yeah. in hollywood and yeah. to think about elders that are trying to be younger that doesn't make any sense to me because the elders that i know that they're not comparing themselves to, to to young girls or young kids or anything like their their their, their beauty is in a different realm because they exist in a different space like you're saying so and um, like my mom like my mom has very few wrinkles but she does a couple and i look at her face and i just i love them mm-hmm. i looked in the mirror the other day and i saw that i had like a wrinkle that's like forming into my eyebrows so i'm always probably squinching and like I'm always like critiquing something like hmm what's that or I'm being critical about something I say oh no like I said okay I welcome that I was happy because I was like okay cool I have that means that my face is um I'm, I'm impressing my face I don't know if that makes sense I, I don't know it just it's nice it's to your know expression that, yeah it's nice to it's know like that, literally your expression yeah my skin is malleable so it's just gonna react to how I react and that's kind of cool just to think mm. about as opposed to being like oh Botox I'm like no I'm like oh, okay my mom is an inspiration for that because she's never um she just gets wiser and smarter and she stay and she's still very relevant. Like she doesn't, she's not old quote unquote. So I don't even know what old right. is. Mm-hmm. It's not, I think it's really like a state of mind because no one in my it's family, not negative. yeah, no one who's an elder is old. At least in my family, I don't know. I don't, they don't or have at old, least old by the terms of what we've associated that word. I mean, old is like to me, old is like an antiquated consciousness. Like they're like not like they can't keep up. I think that's what people mm-hmm. mean when they say old. And everyone I know who's an elder is still very plugged in. So I, yeah, I don't know any old people. Mm-hmm. I just know elders, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what you think your style says about you? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> a lot of people say that they don't want you know don't judge a book by its cover it's very popular saying but i always say that i design my cover to be read Mm. very intentionally like i want um you to be able to get a pretty good sense from me i think i'm very comfortable with 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 writing on my walls and just kind of revealing myself showing is um is, is is radical and i think and i think that i'm never trying to hide like you know you can't unsee me like I'm here and like I see myself. I just felt like I always, um, when I was younger and I was really getting into body modification and just kind of defining myself for myself, as, as Audre Lorde says, I I got into this space where um, I was like, it was, I was re-owning my body. It was like, it belongs to me. And I felt like if I didn't mark myself then someone could just, could, could just appropriate me or someone could just say that they made me or that I was theirs. I don't know why I work with this idea from that. If I didn't mark myself, if, like if I didn't put my own stamp on it, then I would be liable to be manufactured by someone else mm-hmm. or that them go, oh yeah, like, you know, Camille, she's a product of ABC, but you can't say I'm a product of anything. Why do you think that that meant so much to you? Like, and, and at what age and mm-hmm. when did you have that sort of awakening? I first cut my hair when I was 14, but when I was 13, probably when I was 12 was when I really wanted to wear like eyeliner under my eye I was really I've always been been into punk music and been into rock um and just anything that was really self-expressive I've always been an artist so anything bright anything loud is what I attracted to whether it was like hip-hop or rock or anything that took up space and so 12 I was like I'm gonna wear eyeliner my mom was like no don't do that and then 14 I was like okay but I really need to cut my hair and at first she she just wanted she didn't want me to make a mistake she just kind of let me think about it but I became obsessed with haircuts and like rihanna's haircut and this idea that oh my god there's a black woman who looks 
who, who's uh, changing the standard of how she looks. And so when I was 14, I wanted to cut my hair. My mom, she cut her hair when she was 14. She cut it all off. Mm-hmm. And no one wanted her to do it, but she knew that it was a self, a form of liberation. So she let me do the same. And so no one around me had like a hairstyle at that age. But I just I chopped my sides off and I've had my hairstyle ever since. So it'll be 10 years. <laughs> this hairstyle? Yeah, with my, my shape, with my sides shaved. Yeah, and this is the longest it's been. I had an idea of who I was. And so I could carve it out but I started my gauges when I was in middle school even before I cut my hair I was just at my friend's house and uh, she had a gauge on the floor it was just one and I was like what's that so it goes in your ear and I was like well does it now and I just like shoved it in my ear and I was like oh that's kind of cool and I just I literally heard a voice like these are for you mm-hmm. and you're supposed to have these in your ears um I got my first tattoo at 16 a legal age is 18 but I don't really I don't really care. Uh, not, I, I don't think that's important. But I was so I was 16. I went to my, my local hood tattoo shop, and I, my sister went with me. I got um, Nefertiti on my chest. That's what started it. But I was already I was drawing on myself in, in, in middle school. I knew I was going to get tattoos. Like I had, so it was just it was just like I don't know. I came out. You come out the womb. I feel like really knowing a lot mm-hmm. of your parts, and it's just about having the autonomy and the resources and the support to be able to you know to um to shape yourself and luckily i had that type of support but i had meaning by from your mom from from my mom my family i pushed everybody everyone was very upset internally Mm -hmm. about me like transforming and getting tattoos it was always the topic of every family event so the support i mean is like me not getting kicked out or no one being violent but does it mean that people understood automatically oh definitely not you know (laughs) definitely lots of tears lots of confusion lots of fear when i cut my hair i dyed it as well so i've had Every hair color besides like yellow and bright pink, but I've had bleach blonde, so I was pretty close. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I just I, why the green? I never, green was the only color I didn't do in high school, and I did every other. I had to do like blue green and did purple in high school. And I was at uh, I was going to the beauty supply store with my sister, uh, with my friends, and I t- and I told her I was like I, I I can't do this blonde. It feels wrong. It feels boring. It feels like it's not. I I just feel like it's not me. But I don't. I was so scared because I hadn't dyed my hair in a long time. I had been in the university for a long time, so I was kind of getting brainwashed. And she was and she was just like <laughs> literally. She, she was just like, well, what color do you want to do? I was like, I think blue, but maybe green. And she was just like, get both. I was like, what? She's like, just get both. And I mixed them together. And it's been blue green ever since. It's just gotten this greener. Is, this is technically blue green. It's technically blue green. It's but so it's, pretty. It's I've like leaned, teal. Yeah, I've leaned in more green just because I, I, I like looking like a tree. I really think so that it's me so being pretty. a tree is my inspiration at this point. And so I really feel like a tree. I tell people that like, you know, my brown skin is my bark and then my hair <laughs> is my canopy. And I'm just my roots and my feet and I'm just walking around just being a tree. So well, I it's like really that. good. I mean, that's a really good image because <laughs> trees are rooted in the ground. They're rooted, mm-hmm. but then their branches yes. can go in every direction and, and high in the sky as far as they want to go. Yeah, It's almost like you are in a stage play and someone tries to cast you as a tree thinking that you're unimportant so you fall into the background but as a little black girl i said oh no i actually am a tree i'm a tree of life i'm all these things and mm. one of the things that i said is that my branches were not made to break and so i really do see myself as a tree in many ways but in ifa which is my religion and iroko is is a deity and he's a tree or they're a tree and so it, the, the trees our ancestors the trees are deities so i think it's an honor to be a tree i don't think it's a definitely it's yeah it's fun what do you think are the assumptions or judgments that people make about you based on your style that may or may not be true or do you think that they do see you for the most part like as you does it does it Mm -hmm. do they receive you as you want to be seen or I think growing up I had a lot of trauma tied to exploitation and violation and I assumed that that was because of how I looked and how I was you know so I blame myself but as I get older I recognize that the more I 
um, radically show myself, the more I just do things because they feel good and because they align with my ideology, that I attract people who are like me. I didn't really think about that until you asked me just now, but really I do think that I've kind of manifested a, um, like a, a sort of protection for myself because I'm mm-hmm. so myself. Mm-hmm. So people who are not of that are too afraid to confront that. They don't even come in my space. When I, when I was, when I had a, a fade, so I, I really was bald for most of my life. Uh, I had it dyed and short for a long time. So the fact that it's long now is fun because I didn't really have an Afro for most of my life. I, I love it. And, um, I, when I would have short hair, uh, like assumedly cis hetero guys will always like come up to me and be like, oh, okay, well, like, you know, you probably like girls, but you're cute. Or they would tell me like, or like they would kind of like, pick a challenge with me and then lose and not, and then I get my number. So I recognized that I was, I was, I was warding away those who had like, who had like toxic or sensitive masculinity. I kind of, and I definitely dig that. So mm-hmm. that was something that I recognized really early on. Oh, my short hair kind of offends you. I like that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, uh, it means that, you know, that you are challenging to their masculinity. Yeah. And, and I feel I feel like I'm very I like the word stem. I feel like I'm a mixture of like a stud and a femme. I, I, I sometimes I'm a little boy with the eye. Sometimes I, you know, I want to be Cardi B. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm feeling like that. But when it comes down to it, it's just I, I feel like I'm very fluid and in the middle. And so people who don't understand that, they don't even really approach me. Sometimes people are curious, but they don't stay too long because it mm-hmm. gets it gets real very quick, very quick on this end. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's so weird because I identify a lot with what you're saying, but coming from my generation, I never even knew that I was doing any of that and there were no words for it or anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I get, yes. I, I can relate to all the reactions and the, you know, that, that, that connect. And I think that's why styles always meant so much to me mm-hmm. is because not, not being as conscious of it as you are, but just unconsciously mm-hmm. having that language and attraction to a certain group, but then the others just like can't, you're sort of untouchable. I call people like blanks, like folks who are conformists or who don't want to, who are afraid to mark themselves. And I'm like, oh, I don't all these blanks, man. Like I, and I and you say basic. I say oh, basics. <laughs> yeah, I, I always I say like blank as in blank canvas, and, and and the blank is not a blank forever. Like you know, you can you can paint it at any time, but it's just, it's empty right now or it's blank right now. And so I created that term because I felt like I was in a space where um I started to feel. Like I needed to defend myself, and I was like, "Well, you want to call me weird? You want to call me this? Well, like, y'all, no, you're blank. Like, this is not. This is not about me. This is about you. You're projecting your feelings onto me. But just design yourself. Just have some fun. Just ask yourself who you want to be today, and then don't question it and just do it. And so, if you feel like you know your canvas is a little blank, you have the paint. You know, you can change that. You don't have to talk about someone else who's who's decided to paint themselves. You know, that's not going to make you any more colorful. You know what I right. mean? Right. So. Well, we approach like everything that we do, and the whole reason why we created this is because um, is w- around all of what you're talking about. Because what we're trying to show is that through the lens of style, like how much how important style is to identity and self image and comfort in your skin, and like it's not a small thing. It's not it's not a light thing. It's not a nothing. Yes. It's like it's a very important thing. Yeah. When I was your age it was much freer and looser in a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like pe- there was much more individuality and I was in the fashion industry and there was a lot of people that look like you and, mm-hmm. or variations of you or variations of whoever, you know, like they were just true individuals. Mm-hmm. And then I've watched this whole like super conformist um, corporate top-down yeah. homogenizing, whitewashing, erasing. Yeah. In my opinion, it's based on the misconception that if I blend in with, it quote unquote and the it is always changing but it's usually 
based on style that is set by cis hetero white uh, males who own property that's usually the group and mm-hmm. and it's like if I, if I if i blend in with them this it i'll be safe from them it's such a form of terror mm-hmm. and, to, and totalitarian totally. control for someone totally. to say if it's you're fascist. just like me exactly if you're just like me you'll be safe from me because that's inherently based in fear you know we begin to this space where it's like systemic self-obliteration we are obliterating ourselves to save ourselves, and then that's the hardest thing because you, you're sacrificing yourself, right? And I think the corporate America and that space, um, corporate, the corporate spaces and all the white wall spaces are ones that, you know, demand you bleach yourself to be there. And I think once you do that, you become a limb of this of this weird monster institution. Greedy, you, toxic money. Yeah, yeah, and then you can't express yourself. Like, I don't want to ever work at a space where someone's going to tell me my hair or my skin or my sexuality or my armpit hair is inappropriate. Like, I mean, I would never, I wouldn't last. I, would be, I wouldn't last. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's the kind of energy I've put, I put out constantly is I am going to be myself indefinitely and the spaces that are going to open up for me are going to be fully supporting of that and if anything are going to want to cultivate that more so I can blossom and that's the only space that I want to be in because otherwise it's a prison have you ever not been this way this like Mm. fierce in your expression and like have you ever had a moment where you felt you were trapped in that kind of prison of trying to fit in or feeling like you couldn't be yourself no (laughs) no I don't I don't think so and I don't know I'm I just I just say you know like like thank you to the ancestors I think that they they made it impossible. I don't know what what type of spiritual mechanics happened before, you know, I got down into this body, but <laughs> that's one thing that they didn't give me. I just don't have it in me. Like I from a very young age I've always been different. And even when I was a child and I would still, you know, my mom and parents are still buying my clothes for me, I was still very much a boy. I was still I still refused whatever the standard was. It just it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I, I was always gender bending as a kid. I, I knew I was queer at a very young age, even before I had the words for it. So Mm-hmm. I, you know, like it was something that I was, uh, my, my behavior matched and my, my identity matched. So the process of reaffirming has been my way to, I guess, um, counter all of the resistance that I get. And that's the process I'm always still in is reaffirming myself. Mm-hmm. You're you know? an act, your activism is just by being who you, it, but, but just by being true to yourself. Being yourself can be the most radical act that's possible, especially, you know, when you think about mobility and getting a job and having kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't have the same privileges across mm-hmm. the board, but I would say for me, someone who's a person, um, who, of course, is a dispossessed person, but still want a privilege in a lot of different ways. You know, being um, being able bodied, being you know small, um, being a, a third generation college student. You know, being in a developing country. There's a lot of privileges that I have that I don't take for granted. Mm-hmm. Being cisgendered, like there's a lot of things um, that I don't t- that I don't take for granted. So those privileges have put me in a space where I have more work to do on top of showing up as myself and having green hair. Like I am burning shit down physically and I am in the classrooms talking to people and I am working in the corporate space that I work in and still having to maneuver through whiteness and make sure that, you know, representation matters and that people have conversations that are hard. And so I think that it's a space of resisting constantly and then coming home and finding a space to not resist myself. Can you talk a little bit more about the other things that you are doing and let's hear about all Oh yeah, sure. Um, I guess my first form of expression in like art is, is is my voice. I consider myself a spoken word smith. I like the I like spoken word artist, but I like spoken word smith because I feel like in every facet of life I'm inspired by words and trying to um, 
renegotiate words how the connotation of words and how they're used in ways that are sometimes clever sometimes subversive i find myself always playing with words and weaponizing words my mom said when i was one i started talking and it was very strange because she's just like this baby is like talk is talking to me um um so um but i so i've been doing that and i feel like that is my first form of changing and i i did it i did a ted talk that was um called um spoken word shaping space and i bring it up just because that title to me i just feel like is like a mantra mm-hmm. i do believe that words shape space so that's my first form of art i'm a visual artist as well painting has always been a way that i've um been able to physically to i feel like god when i paint you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm goddess all the time but i really get to enact it so i get to just make a world and it just comes it just comes out of where i don't even know where and i think i think it's so beautiful you know you see things in your mind's eye all the time but to be able mm-hmm. to translate them is i think really under um acknowledged ability and power it makes you feel so powerful and also so at peace it's a meditation so my painting is that um i work in film like i said i work at monkey paw jordan pills production company and you know it goes back into my spoken word it's all stories i'm a storyteller so i'm reading stories i'm helping to develop stories i'm bringing out um social political themes and ways that we can empower people to resist and to, and to uh, see themselves differently through stories. And so I feel like it, it, it's all the same art form. I feel like painting is storytelling, speaking is storytelling, talking to people like this is storytelling, mm-hmm. and, I, and listening is a form of gearing up for storytelling. So that's what I really feel like is the core of my art. Whatever we can do to like release a feeling and have catharsis and open that up in somebody else is a form of healing and is a form of change and so if that comes through hoop dancing or singing or stripping or whatever it is i'm here for it and i want to be a part and i want to help support it if i myself can't do it and mm-hmm. so that's that's really what i'm here for is that kind of art you said something about that you are god or you're a goddess mm-hmm. or you know what do you mean by that and and what what is your definition of god would you i like or goddess for me i think um I, I like the word God X, but I also God like, X. yeah, God X. And so it's like G-O-D-D-E-X or just G-O-D-X. I also like God S and I like God. To me, G-O-D is not gendered. I just think God is just, I think God is, um, is, is the act of pure creation. It's like the blink. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's that spontaneous combustion of creation. Like I saw my friend, my, my sister Mika, she just had her baby. His name is Keo. And, um, when, when, when Keo came out of the womb, I, I was there for the whole process. Like, you know, I'm like, putting, I, I, I'm really into the body. So I'm like, no, nothing's going to scare me away. I'm right here enjoying everything. And when, the, when, when uh, the baby came out, you know, he's like very compressed in this little like blue kind of pill looking thing. And then it's just a moment, you know, it looks like, it looks like a beats pill a little bit. And then he just like comes out, you know, compressed. And then it's just like a snap and he just, ah, just animates. And I was like, that is God. That is literally God. It just, I, it changed me forever. And that's what I feel like God is, just that moment of spontaneous life. So when I say I'm mm-hmm. God, like I have to, um, I, you know, I remind myself because, you know, the, of course the world wants to say that once again, these cis hetero property owning white men are God. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, like that's the epitome of man, literally. See? So, you know, once again, a lot of mm-hmm. lies and trickery. Right. So yeah, mm-hmm. I remind folks like, hey, I'm mm-hmm. God, you know, you're God too. What, what is something that you're really proud of in your work that you've, like, what's, if there was something you had to mm-hmm. just say? My confrontation with and my, like, renegotiation with, like, black death is something that I'm really proud of. Because I feel like black death as a, as, um, as a material reality and as a, 
uh, something that's un- like something that seems unavoidable in a lot of spaces is something that I've always had to deal with in my art and my life and I feel like my art is it um it's very surrealist and it, it, and, it, and it leans dark and I don't mean dark as in negative but just dark as in as in the core of the earth, dark as in melanated people, dark as in the crevice that is seen as bad, but it really holds all the bacteria that creates the world. Like that's the dark. And so my art leans dark and my life <laughs> the light leans comes dark. From dark. Yeah, light comes from dark, right? Um, and so I think about black death a lot because to me like death is rebirth, but also, you know, death is assassination in many spaces. And um, so I am in a space where I like to uh, I, I sit in those emotions and I face those realities and I like to renegotiate them. So I give death new life, but I also honor death, you know, as it comes. And in, in, in Yoruba, death is Iku and Iku is a, is, a, is a spirit, is a deity. We don't, you know, death is not negative, but I think how can we, re, how do we renegotiate the realities of death as living people? You know, and so I feel like my art plays with that a lot. And I feel like um, me being in a genre space and working with horror, black horror and sci-fi and fantasy and speculative arts is all dealing with the renegotiations of death and elevation of life. All of my work, whether it be horror, sci-fi, fantasy, there's going to be blood and there's going to be guts. And there's going to be a lot of things, but it's not going to be violation of women or trans folks or non-conforming folks. It's not going to be um, a, re- a reproduction of evil. Like, how can we how can we confront these realities without triggering? folks and making them relive that over and over again so i'm proud of that if we're gonna really rise above Mm -hmm. um the like dark evil and Mm -hmm. like and like negativity and and violence you know we have to eat fear yeah we have to and fear we have to transform yes i feel like i'm constantly enraged i feel like i'm enraged Mm. i'm enraged enraged i'm Mm. enraged right now i'm always enraged Mm. i'm always full of rage and i think that like especially Mm -hmm. for like um like uh for black women or folks who are like Mars and lies like rage is mm. something that we're like told we can't have and yet it's something that we feel like that's all we have sometimes is rage and i think rage is the most powerful mm. fuel i think well winori who's an amazing um writer director she says like anger is holy and i'm like mm. yes rage is holy like, when, when i look when i go into the mosh pit when i'm going to my show like just being able just to jump in rage and just release is the most is the most divine thing because we're in a space where like i can't scream at work you know i can't you know i'm, I'm gonna be called like mentally ill or someone's gonna say that i have a problem or whatever thing all these all these labels that mean nothing that mean very little right and so for me i was just like okay what does it mean for me to be in a space where i allow myself to rage and it changed my life going to like going to a punk show and just scream screaming top of my lungs that's my self-care like, I, I come home and i'm quiet too but that's the self-care like you have to clear before you can come home and be peaceful because yeah. if you're not letting it out you're just gonna be sitting here just meditating with all the trash just swirling inside of you like you gotta let that out somehow and so my rage is how i let it out but rage also lets the love back in because mm-hmm. i feel like you know you don't have to, you have to f- release the f- a feeling yeah. you have to let the feeling you have to let whatever feeling come up mm-hmm. and 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 i be with it but then you have to that's how it sort of moves mm-hmm. on but i think rage yeah. is love i feel like mm. i feel like things that enrage me is because at the core i love this thing so much and it's mm. being disrespected it's like who's the fiercest creature sometimes with these very maternal or paternal animals that you see you're gonna play with their baby they're about to tear you up it's rage and it's love and it's sharp and i love it and that's the type of mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. that i carry with me you know fierce mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. Yeah. but i think that that's incredibly fascinating and beautiful and true rage is fuel and rage mm-hmm. is love and rage is a part of our humanity mm-hmm. and rage is 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 um 
is valid and mm-hmm. and needed mm-hmm. for change. Fire is needed for change, mm-hmm. and rage is fiery, and like you you can't change things, mm-hmm. and, you know, without fire. Mm-hmm. But then, where um, how 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 does that differ for you? Would you say as opposed to somebody who may take you know where rage can become like I guess maybe is it that we live in a culture where we, we deny feelings mm. so rage smolders or and yes. and then it becomes like a problem maybe it's yes. that when I was at UCLA when I was um doing my studies oh I was angry and that ang- I was hateful like I was ready to blow the whole place up I was Can really you talk more why? about why yeah. oh my god oh my gosh. look I'm sorry I got triggered real quick my, I triggered <laughs> myself it's okay it's positive but I was um at UCLA like I you know I, I was doing my cultural studies so I had an Afri- I double major in African-American studies and world arts and culture I had, I had a minor in gender studies but I ended up dropping before I left just because I had I just wanted to go and I was ready to go I had mostly finished it but um so that's what I was studying and I was in every activist space on that campus possible, whether it be on the grassroots, I was in the chancellor's office, I was um, organizing just like socially, I started doing my own, uh, uh, these events called the Intersection Art Party, so I was trying to get my own space, but being at UCLA was so, it was, it was being surrounded, oh, that's really the belly of the beast, I'm surrounded by blanks all day, <laughs> I'm surrounded by totally. people who, who don't even who still think who think racism is like doesn't exist you know who say stuff like that like mm-hmm. out loud i'm surrounded by people who think that culture is something that they can taste and try on and then they and because they've tasted it and tried it on they now have the credibility to evaluate or de or devaluate it and so i'm in a space every day where i'm being confronted by folks who are mostly white-skinned who are telling me that i am wrong and yelling at me in class and i told y'all i can't be disempowered can't be quiet so i'm in class fighting every battle every day and i see that there's no release for my anger no one even cares about it you know like i, I you know i can shut you down in the classroom but i still have no social power and you know i have to go back home with those feelings you know i remember i used to like walk to class burning sage at one point just making everybody cough like i hate y'all like i don't even care i'm supposed to just like you know mm-hmm. extinguish all these demons on campus i was just so over it mm-hmm. and, you know i had a teacher who's a the, the world's leading africanist who's a white woman who you know is teaching me about my secret religion i'm like who gave you the authority to talk mm-hmm. about my people and my mm-hmm. ancestors you're not even a part of this tradition and so mm-hmm. things like that made me angry and i was in a space where um I'm consistently being evaluated by folks who don't even speak my language, you don't even who, who and have no care to learn to translate or anything. And so that's what made me angry. I recognized very early on that these systems of white supremacy and these systems of of of, of like corporate uh, corporate capitalist academia are as large as a prison industrial system. They're mm-hmm. so big mm-hmm. and I am this one person and I will die fighting for this if, if I don't protect my body mm-hmm. and I don't see myself as worthy. And so my anger became this like kamikaze energy where I was so willing to sacrifice myself that I didn't even know that I was buying, you know, I was I was drinking a Kool-Aid. Like I like I I was mm-hmm. duped. If you if you're willing to sacrifice yourself on behalf of this mm-hmm. change, that's just like saying, oh yeah, I'm gonna conform on mm-hmm. behalf of my safety. Mm-hmm. It's the same type of like negation of self that's of mm-hmm. self-obliteration. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, this is not right. And so I took my rage and I took it off campus and I started, you know, I stopped doing all forms of campus activism. I said, y'all don't get my time. 
Okay, y'all get my time in the classroom just by opening my mouth. I'm doing the job of a lot of these professors who don't want to say anything. So that's my free labor. But besides that, I'm going to go organize on Crenshaw and Pico or down the street with my people and my folks, people of color and consciousness, do a completely inclusive, 100 percent radical space and run it. And that's what we did. We made it free. We ran it. We had parties for like a year and a half. And that's what really got me through college because I got to a space where I was like the the type of world and spaces that I want to build. I can't build with permission. I'm going to do this myself because that's what autonomy is. And I know I have it. Y'all can't take it from me. So that was my switch. But if I would have stayed on campus and still stay within those confines, that anger would have continued to eat me up and made me more hateful because I was starting to hate. But I told myself, like someone said, every action is a celebration of something right and I was like wow that's really serious so if I'm acting against white supremacy I'm acting against capitalism I'm acting against all of this violence in, in in my academic space I'm just celebrating it because I'm just giving it all of my energy even though I'm trying to counter it like I said mm-hmm. once again we're just like pumping this head up bigger mm-hmm. bigger bigger mm-hmm. then I say okay well what do I want to celebrate I want to celebrate queerness I want to celebrate life I want to celebrate blackness in all forms I want to celebrate indigeneity and love and radical speech and radical lifestyles okay cool so let me just make a space for mm-hmm. that and so I became a mm-hmm. lot I rededicated myself to pleasure as opposed to pain and you can release pain through pleasure but I didn't want to be in a space where I was just having to uh, counteract evil all the time because it was eating me alive and it was making me evil I would say rage without release is what becomes like a problem Mm. so when you have no outlet for your rage and you have and everyone's only gaslighting your pain you're not even allowed to feel your pain Mm. that's when it becomes hatred Mm. for me so reacting and releasing are Mm -hmm. two very different Mm -hmm. things but i do think rage is the core of them both and if if it's um and if it's channeled properly or if it's validated then it doesn't have to mutate when rage is mutated that is white supremacy. Yeah, yeah. It's mutated. It, 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 it's it. mutated rage. Thank you again to Fat in the Moon for sponsoring this episode and standing with us in our fight against the pervasive message that something is inherently wrong with us and that we need a product to fix it. From deodorant to makeup to herbal remedies for the most intimate of issues, Fat in the Moon works with plants that are ethically harvested and organically cultivated and combine them in formulations that are radically non-toxic. Each one of their potions is handmade to order by one of their incredible makers and come in reusable, recyclable containers with no superfluous packaging. For 20% off your order with Fat in the Moon, visit fatinthemoon.com and enter the coupon code STYLE. That's fatinthemoon.com and enter the coupon code STYLE for 20% off. I want to always talk about the word white because I think about this whole blank thing I've been saying too. So I I think about blank, I think about white, and it's like, it's like, it's a, it's a base coat. White is a base coat, you know, at the, in, in, um, and if you don't, put anything else on top of that or if you don't dig deeper to reflect that then it's always gonna be white and i think white's the attitude it's an attitude that says my base coat is my finished coat and i'm done mm. but that's not oh my god that's genius yeah but uh, you know but uh, <laughs> so and that's done and so so when you are when you get deeper into yourself you go oh i think i'm seeing colors 
maybe it's brown mm-hmm. maybe it's yellow maybe it's green maybe it's something else and that is the identity mm-hmm. but i feel like if your pov is that base coat mm-hmm. then everything's gonna look unfinished to you because you're unfinished like yo like you're not even like your canvas is not designed my man like you need to like mm-hmm. you know like add some glitter on that thing so i feel like that's 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 mm-hmm. really how i feel um but yeah so when people are looking from a white pov i'm thinking about it like that i think that many people of different colors and consciousness can can want to be white and can say I am white now because they think that this is like that they're, they're finished. They just say that they're if, you know if they accept that they're unfinished, it's finished, and they just feel like they're confident. I don't know, but so that's what I mean when I say white. But um, James Baldwin and Dick Gregory both say that white and black is an attitude. Mm-hmm. And my attitude is black. My attitude is amalgamation of all of these things together in one. Is so that's why I'm black, and so, as opposed to having a white POV, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the biggest insecurity that you're working on overcoming? This is why I've been trying to renegotiate my understanding of like blanks. I just started using this word a couple a couple months I ago. I love it so much. I can't. <laughs> sorry, I, 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 started using my, I started using this word. It's so perfect because they they make some because like in in relationships and stuff like that. Like I've always felt like um like I identify as a femme. I identify as a woman. Um I, I even though I feel very fluid, I don't I don't want to appropriate like an androgynous identity. I just don't think that's necessarily what I am. But mm-hmm. Like a fluid femme woman is how I identify. And I think that like sometimes when I'm in a space where I feel like um in comparison to women who are you know who are said beautiful as they are but or, or it seem seem to me like they're you know they're not as self-expressive or that they have more of a conventional beauty you know just externally at least i get self-conscious i feel like i can never be that not that and i, and I, and I don't want to be like oh i don't want to be that that's bad but i just that's just not how i express mm-hmm. and so it makes me so insecure sometimes because i just like dang like you know i that's I can't com- I can't compare or I can't compete because it's, mm-hmm. it's just two different kind of things. So that makes me insecure. Still, still being compared to folks who don't express the way I express makes me insecure sometimes, and it's a fleeting of feeling, but it does come up, and, mm-hmm. it, and it can make me do very dumb things. What so. are what's like a moment where it'll co- what's like a moment <laughs> a where thing. it comes up and a dumb thing that. Like, you do. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I think, I think that we, I do so many dumb things. I, I, man, I, I love, I'm wrong every day and I love being wrong because it shows me, it just keeps me real. You yeah. know, that's the second I'm not wrong is the second I'm like probably a fascist or a robot or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I just don't, don't want to do that. But like, I it's get part to, of being blank. Yeah, exactly. So I not get to, being able to be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're just, it's just blank. There is nothing there. So it's always right. Um, but I feel, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like for me, like, um, I don't know. It, it, it was hard for me I, I, in relationships and things like that because I would get to a space where, like, you know, I would just get jealous. Like, I would get jealous of of people who I felt like, you know, did not look like me. And then I started, to, and I started to go back to me being a little kid and comparing myself to all the grown women who, you know, had the, had the little thin waist and had the perfect makeup and had the straight hair. And then here I am, my little my little kinky hair, my little tomboy dirty shoes, and you know what I mean. So I start feeling like that type of comparison to this Western stance of beauty, and that makes me uncomfortable mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But for the most part now, um, I just like I said, I just r- remind myself like who the fuck I am. Once again, you know, mm-hmm. hey, God, Goddess, God X, I'm cool. And two, it's like, hey, like there's only one. Person person you can be everyone can only be themselves and if you're not being yourself you're being someone else and so it's okay so i have gotten to that space where i don't let um like uh, i don't want to compare myself to other women i just want to be in love with other women like mm-hmm. i just want to worship and praise other women and so i remind myself that whenever i start comparing i'm like you know what she's beautiful she's bomb i'm beautiful we're bomb here we are together mm-hmm. we can just be beautiful all together like mm-hmm. it's fine mm-hmm. so i feel like i get into that space sometimes when i feel like um you know society i don't want me put in, like in a weird box and i think too i get i get really self-conscious sometimes about um 
my weight because I my, my weight has fluctuated over my life. This is probably the smallest I've been. I, I'm probably gonna stay this size now, like for a while, just because the way my lifestyle is, how much I eat, like you know, when I sleep, my stomach's pretty small. I'm just a thin kind of person, and like I was, I used to be like 150 um, a couple years ago, and so I fluctuated weight, and so sometimes I'm still, I feel like ashamed of being skinny i don't really know where that comes from like i don't want hips or breasts or, or butt really because it, it's a weird type of like femininity that i don't think really fits my form i don't know it just doesn't it doesn't quite fit the, mm-hmm. the image i have of myself but sometimes being skinny i just feel self-conscious about it like there's mm. like nothing to love or there's like nothing there mm. you know i think too there's a there's a space where like i know that there's a lot of skinny privilege of course in the world because like you know fashion is made for small bodies and things like that but i wear big stuff i wear baggy things and i feel like it makes me bigger i like to be big that is my that is my energy so when i feel very it makes me feel very small and very frail mm. and very like someone could just knock me over and i just don't like feeling weak or tiny mm-hmm. and so i think when i feel skinny sometimes I, I i sometimes i feel like not sexually attractive and i also will feel like very like premature and tiny i don't know mm-hmm. being small it doesn't reflect how fierce you feel mm-hmm. inside yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes i feel very tiny but then there's like this um her name was Koi Ray. She's a rapper who just came out. And I was like looking at her Instagram last night and her co- her caption was like, suck my ribs, like whatever. And I was like, yeah, suck my ribs. Like, don't like, it's a, don't tell me I need to eat. Like I ate today. Like I'm not hungry right now. Like, you know, whatever. So I so things. So I've been like kind of following people who also are pretty STEMI, who have similar body types like me. It makes me feel positive because, you know, like because I feel like um, the standards of beauty that have been set by like, once again, still like white cis hetero white women, you know, and the idea that that's what femininity looks like. And yes like a lot of those body types are thin and are small and it's tied to this idea of like not eating and not taking care of yourself but then it's just like okay I'm, as a black woman like I do eat I do take care of myself like I love myself like most people in my family are thicker and I'm not trying to push um like an oppressive narrative by being skinny I'm just small right <laughs> I'm just, right, right I'm just small so sometimes I feel really bad about being thin and in my household like um a lot of people like my family that's one thing that they have like been very vocal about like you're not eating your thighs mm-hmm. don't touch like you're not thick like that's not cute and i just been like no it's okay so i feel like i still am always battling with my body type mm-hmm. um but i've been feeling very comfortable because i just i just fuck a little like i said a little tree nymph just i'm just mm-hmm. tiny and small you know mm-hmm. i got i got big roots though so that's something that i deal with mm-hmm. um, um i told you i also have scarring on my legs I posted a photo on my Instagram recently where like my legs were out and I, I had one of my legs out in years. Like, I, I did a performance with Red Bull and I had um like a little romper on and I was just like so self-conscious the whole time I don't shave and I have scars on my legs and I was just like this is none of y'all business and, and I felt good. I felt no one said anything to me about it and I was just like oh because no one cares like mm-hmm. duh. Mm-hmm. No one cares. So things like that I, I, I have a little victories over every day mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, representation is really important for that so i can see folks who look like me and who are also not problematic i don't want to like see a bunch of skinny people who are talking about how beautiful they are because they're skinny i was like oh god this is yeah. terrible you know what i mean so mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. what's the biggest risk you've ever taken to some degree i guess choosing to be an artist is a risk you know like choosing to be an artist like and not let anybody define your art and contain like you know not 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 folding to like, this corporate world i think is, is a risk um but also i don't feel like i have a i didn't have a choice i feel like i was always an artist so i couldn't go back on that um i don't know biggest risk i've ever taken maybe not getting my phd maybe mm-hmm. just in comparison to how indoctrinated i had been over those four years like i i so i came out of high school 
like I was very militant. I don't know where I got it from. I was very militant. I was like anti-establishment, anti-government. I didn't believe in the American school system. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to college. This was bullshit. Like I was just like, man. I was like, Ugh, I hate this. You know. I was very like pro Black Lives Matter and pro like I was going to move to Cuba and just like teach art to kids. I had this whole or like become a renegade. I had all these ideas <laughs> in my head that were probably like form from me reading all these like from all these pamphlets from the 60s to the 80s but that was my my thought process and then I got into a scholarship program that kind of like um helped uh, that equipped me with like social justice knowledge and research and like and taught me like to get involved in research and so I went to UCLA and like I said okay if I, if I get in I'm gonna still study art but it'll be art for activism and it'll be you know a mixture of like literary and and um, any type of creative study that is relating to politics, I want to get into it. That was just my thing. And I got in, and my research was good. People loved my writing. So they were like, oh, you're, you're, you're going to just be a doctor. Like, you know, just be a doctor. And I was like, wow, I can be respected for my ideas if I'm a doctor, if I'm a PA, if I have a PhD. And to me, it seemed very doable because I, like, you know, schoolwork was never hard for me. Academic work is not difficult for me. I, I strive. I love creative, critical thinking. And so I can... I can turn it around. And I also have a crazy worth ethic. So I'll, I'll sacrifice myself to get some things done. So I was kind of set up to be pretty successful in school. But the only thing was that I had a crazy rebellious spirit and I did not want <laughs> to sacrifice my joy or shut up. So that was my, that was, that was the, the, the double-edged sword. So, um, prepared to get my phd and i did all of my pre-dissertation writing and my undergraduate thesis and you know pushing out chapters and i felt like i was going to die like literally like i i was waking up every day screaming from anxiety that's how i woke up like ah those cortisol levels like if they get too high and your stress gets too high they will wake you up with that every day but they will depress your immune system so that's what happened to me because the higher your cortisol is the lower your immune system and so i was at ucla like stressed getting sick i was having autoimmune issues my skin is peeling my hair is falling out and then i went i still have like a a little hole in the back from the hair that just never will come back it's just gonna stay there as a reminder of like don't stress like don't Mm -hmm. do it Mm-hmm. So that happened to me when I was at academia, and I remember the day I sent in my last app, like my application for grad school. I sent it. All, all I'm doing is dragging and dropping digital files onto like a, a, a online application, and my anxiety was I almost flipped the table over. I could not. Like it took so much to do it because I was like like done. <laughs> and after I finished it, I sat there. Almost flipped the table over. Luckily, the table was bolted down so I wouldn't move. And I, I literally said, I felt death. I felt Iku just like touch me on the forehead. It's like one little finger. Teep. Like I felt the death. I felt it touch my body. And I was like, if I do this, I will die. And I, and, and I now know this. So if I continue to do this, I'm letting myself die. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I felt so bad because like all of the women who I respect, the femmes who brought me through academia, they're all doctors. They're all doctors. Saida Hartman, Christina Sharp, Dr. Redman, uh, Sarah Haley. They're all doctors. Jerry McMillan, like doctors. And they are the sharpest people and the most critical people I've met. And I wanted to have my thought process curated by them. I wanted to be able to create knowledge like they created. But I was like, I don't want to live this life, y'all. I can't do it. And I'm not saying that it's bad that y'all do it. But I, for some reason, I just could not do it. Mm. And so I got the job at Monkey Paw which is totally left field. Like, it's Hollywood. Like, I've been talking shit about Hollywood forever. I mean, I'm continuing to talk shit about Hollywood, but, you know, because of the issues, but forever. And I was just like, I'm going to take this job and work in Hollywood and do what I 
I'm gonna make a new position. Like I'm gonna do what I do here, but I had, I had to grasp something for myself, and I was embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want to tell people that I wanted to be this this artist, executive, whatever the space was that I was about to make. And that was the biggest risk I took because I I felt ashamed and I felt like I had betrayed people who expected me to to continue what they were doing. Um, and also in the same right, I was like, well, who am I living for? You know, like really, who am I living for? And Dr. Redman and my people who were my femtors who led me through, they're like, I'm not embarrassed. Like, I'm not sad. Like, you are going to be incredible at whatever you do, so do it. But I want you to be happy. And like, no one is teaching you happiness in the syllabus at UCLA or any of these schools. Happiness is, is a joke. And when you're at, you know, when you're in college, you're like happy where? At least for me, I didn't have that much fun in college. So that was a risk for me was to say, I'm, I don't know what this career is, but I'm going to make it myself. And I heard, you know, I've heard people say, like, I think Peter Sellers says this, you know, like if your job already exists, you need to find a new job. So you've released that shame, you think? Yeah, I released it. I released it because I recognize that like um being a being an intellectual and being a scholar is a choice. It's not a it's not something you're assigned. It's not a job. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle. I will I research every day i read every day and i'm in a space now where i'm you know making myself write essays you know just for myself that i'll release you know whatever but i'm making myself continue to produce knowledge and to push myself to think and that's what a scholar does and mm-hmm. so that's been my resistance like i don't need your syllabus i write i write syllabi you mm-hmm. got your mind you know what i mean so- you're creating and especially <laughs> in your job and everything that you're doing with your art like you're you're creating the new syllabus yes yes when do you feel the most vulnerable well, no, I feel like I feel like I share so much. I feel like I'm all, I feel I feel vulnerable all the time. I feel like vulnerable is like I, I feel like vulnerable is like my constant state. I think like I'm always vulnerable. I don't, I don't and as like a as like, as like a black like a uh, queer like femme person, I just don't know what it feels like to not be vulnerable. I'm just always vulnerable, and I think that I just kind of walk into that vulnerability. I like to radically bear myself so that my vulnerability is like normal. So I I I don't want to ever feel whatever the opposite of vulnerability is because I think walled I just have to or, what's walled I don't know I'm making it up I, like I don't it. know I like that walled yeah, yeah I don't I don't want to feel walled and I don't um mm-hmm. yeah so I think I'm always I feel like I'm always vulnerable but I feel like as far as when I feel like fear for my vulnerability it's probably when I'm like walking home by myself you know and someone like says something to me I feel like I'm in danger or if I'm like very very naked I feel in danger often um so those you are mean my, if you're like out and about in like not that much clothes or, or no oh. I mean like if I'm just naked in general sometimes like I don't know I'm not somebody I, I, I love nudity like I'm, I'm naked at home all the time and I love like some of my best friends or like women who I've like been most attracted to or who I just love in my life or like people who are just like so fine with being naked i just love it i think it's just the best most free feeling you have but i just am not at that space like if i'm at the pool and i'm like naked like i am probably like not comfortable right. <laughs> probably mm-hmm. like why is everybody here this is like mm-hmm. a, this is you know so that's something that makes me feel <laughs> fearful sometimes i want to i want to confront that so i want to do more like um naked art and more processes that involve me shedding and stuff but like nudity does make me scared it's just because of violation like I, you know i'm a survivor and stuff like that i've had experiences that like um have taught or that, that were tr- that were done in a way that people are trying to tell me that i didn't matter that my body belonged to somebody else and so i think that those are all tied to those feelings but overall i love nudity so i'm trying to figure out a space mm-hmm. of being more comfortable with that now when i'm out in public i'm like i'm like my crop like you know my, my midriff is always out if 
I didn't have to wear a shirt, I never would. Like, like God gave me titties for some reason, but I don't really need them. Like, I would just be chilling with my shirt off, hanging out. So I don't have a problem with that. But, um, like, the full nudity, like, my legs being out or, like, my, like, genitals and stuff being out, like, whoa. Like, I start to feel very, like, afraid or endangered that I'm going to be, like, taken over or something like that. So I think mm-hmm. that just comes from, like, trauma and stuff. But hopefully one day, you know, that'll be able to dissipate, you know, mm-hmm. with, with enough naked shoots. But I was thinking about the other day. Like, I was watching... um. I know people have like you know conflicting views with, with like a lot of people's like personal stuff but i was watching cardi b's show yes or her performance at the grammys mm-hmm. and like i said trying to just move some of the problematics aside i was really uh inspired by her performance because i thought to myself like if you're i was thinking about like i was thinking about performers in general like if you're a performer like i don't know okay like why do we wear clothes we wear clothes because we have to be respectable quote unquote we have to look at look the part we have to go into a space we have to deal with other people and we don't want them to focus on our bodies i guess they want you want we want to be face to face in my mind i was thinking about like why we put up clothes on but when you see celebrities and you see people who are performing on stage they're always naked they're always in leotards they're always mm-hmm. like shaking their ass and i'm like wow that's freedom so it kind of feels like mm-hmm. we people want to shade people who are like naked or who or, or who love to you know who are body positive but really and truthfully i feel like it's like when we get to a place of success you can be naked freely and not be judged by it it kind of feels like that you know like people are still gonna judge you but like who, who no one's gonna tell beyonce she can't wear a leotard to work like she can wear you know she can do what she wants she's mm-hmm. beyonce or whatever so i was thinking to myself okay so nudity is kind of freedom we talk about nudity i mean it's obviously freedom but like to be able to be paid and be nude and and live your life and present as you want to present is freedom so i don't know i feel like my draws to wanting to be able to wear what i want or be naked if i want or post like you know i saw cash though i had a video you know chanel slides where she has like this little top on it's just it's just like nipple covers and it's like Mm -hmm. that's the whole top i was like that's fire but she can wear that because she's a boss and she can do what she wants to do. So I was like, so that's kind of where I'm feeling like, okay, I know that I'm going to be able to be in a space where I can just be naked and it's not going to negatively affect my career. or People are not going to want to work with me because I look so-and-so it's freedom. So I've been kind of thinking about nudity mm-hmm. like that. Like people want to talk so, so bad about people who are naked, but when you come to, we were born naked, our indigenous folks, you know, only wear enough clothes just to protect our very vulnerable parts. But besides that, like that's how we are. So I want to get back to that space. Mm-hmm. Like nudity is power and nudity is also self autonomy like if you're paying your own bills you're naked like you can be naked all the time and i just mm-hmm. that's my goal now it's just to be well that's paid and naked what's underneath yeah what's underneath yeah it's the truth i was inspired i was like oh they're naked it's the truth they're it's the truth because it, 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 mm-hmm. it you, i like it you become more and more vulnerable and that's the beauty yeah know? it's like that's the beauty and i did a shoot not not like the cup not been not having a facade not being pretentious mm-hmm. not having a mask you know yeah and it's like i think style is like the skin you know style is not what you wear you know, it's, it's your it's how you speak and it's your presence and how you absolutely show up. like you you can wear like i said earlier you can mm-hmm. wear a paper bag and have style or you can be naked and have style i think that's why i like body modification so much because like i can't take it off i love that i always have it on when do you feel the most beautiful oh no i always feel beautiful i really do i really feel like i feel beautiful very constantly because I like to like I I, 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 I do I do like even when I when I have no makeup on I feel like I feel like my my true boy self you know sometimes and then when I have makeup on I feel like also my true self so I have I feel like I have many true selves mm-hmm. I feel beautiful in in all ways I feel like when I'm being like when I'm around people who I love and who love me I feel really beautiful I just like I love showering people with adoration and I think when I'm around others um 
who just let me be myself, I just feel the most beautiful. I love that. Um, I think too, like, yeah, when, when I'm glittery, I feel beautiful. When I when my fro is extra big, I feel beautiful. Um, um, yeah, I, 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 when I can dress like myself, I'm beautiful. I feel beautiful, no problems asked. I don't do suits. I don't do button ups. I don't. I mean, sometimes I have like a silky magenta button up the other day. Like that was nice. But besides that, like I don't, I don't like to be stuffy. So as long as I can just wear what I want to wear. And like, look how I want to look. I always feel good, you know. The mm-hmm. second I have to, it's, I, have, I don't even remember the last time someone told me what I couldn't couldn't wear. Like, whoa, like what, that's when I don't feel beautiful and I feel angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a problem. But yeah, if I if I can design myself, I'm I'm feeling good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what does self acceptance mean to you? Mm-hmm. Self acceptance to me means like really loving the ugly and loving the 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 dirty nails and the not kempt and the um like without intention just just accepting yourself right the stanky the 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 just woke up the, the crusty like that's the, that's self-acceptance when you don't have to feel or, or, or when i don't have to feel like i need to um edit myself or polish myself to have worth that's when i feel so self-acceptance so i just i think like being taking a selfie and posting it and being like i look beautiful and not deleting it is self-acceptance i feel like looking in the mirror like as i got to shower and just like putting on shea butter and just dancing naked is self-acceptance i'm like looking at every crevice of my body every little bump and stuff that's self-acceptance and so i like to face things that people think are unsightly and just love on them. I always say that like I have this thing where I'll meet my friends and I give like a really, I, I, I want to make a book of like unappreciated body parts and just like talk about how important they are. So like, I'll tell people, oh, you have a great belly button. I love that little, that, that little elbow thing you have. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Oh, this so far here, so soft. Like, mm-hmm. and so I think self-acceptance is also just like showing love where there is, you know, like where maybe people forget. And there's a scene in uh, Spike Lee's movie, uh, Do the Right Thing, in the beginning where it's like Mookie and his girlfriend, I think Rosie Perez plays her. Um, they're they're together and like it's really hot. It's Brooklyn, and he he goes, oh okay, I got you. And he comes back with an ice tray and he just like puts ice on every part of her body to cool her down. But as he does, he goes, thank God for the left nipple, thank God for the right nipple, thank God for the elbows, thank God for the. And I do that in the morning sometimes. I just wake up and I just like. Thank God for the ankles. Thank God for the eyebrow hair. Thank God for this little bump on my nose. Like, and so that's self-acceptance to me. It's just like the little acts of love, you mm-hmm. know? And sometimes, you know, and sometimes it's hard to do because you're not feeling good, but I can always find something random and kind of funny that I like, like my belly button will make me happy and little things like that. So that's self-acceptance to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like letting other people just be around you raw, you know, like having like, you know, like I, my friends don't have to come over here with makeup on. We don't have to do, you know, we can just, we can just be, you know, I think that's the self I think if you're not, accepting other people you can't accept yourself mm-hmm. you know it's, it's like it's really like a reciprocity kind of thing it's a community thing you know so if you just accept yourself and you hate everybody else you don't really accept yourself you're mm-hmm. you're comparing yourself to others and that's what makes you feel comfortable you know which goes back to the mutated rage mutated rage mm-hmm. and the blanks <laughs> the so blanks. good thank you so oh much my God. that thank was you. just absolutely whoa what a great, great way to spend I feel so time. warm. Thank you. You're so incredible. 
One last thanks to Fat in the Moon for supporting this episode of What's Underneath. Fat in the Moon sees self-care as a radical act and believes that when we are nourished, we can be our most potent selves, creating the most long-lasting impact. In an increasingly polarized time, we share Fat in the Moon's belief that we can create change by coming together around the radical care and love for our bodies, our children, and our earth. So if you want to get your hands on one of their handmade natural potions made for all bodies, all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all races, and all genders, visit fatinthemoon.com and enter the coupon code STYLE for 20% off. That's fatinthemoon.com and enter the coupon code STYLE for 20% off your order. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode, subscribing to our podcast, and joining us on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash you to support our work and help us build a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their own skin. And if you fall in love with each of our guests as much as we do, you can see them in their full self-expression by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at style like you. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There is no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. <laughs>